Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us or our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. So listen, y'all can go to 2 Corinthians 2.14 is where we're going to start at this morning. We're going to be talking about lamenting. Fellas, hit the clock for me in the back. All right. All right. Any of y'all watch comedians? Anybody like to watch, like, comedy skits and all, like, you know, different stuff like that? All right. I don't always watch comedy skits. We were talking this week, some people at my house, and, um, and uh, we were talking about this one. Anybody know who Cat Williams is? I think I mentioned him in church before. You know, if you, if you don't know him, you've probably seen him getting arrested by police a few times and just thought he was a crazy um, dude. But you would know him because he's a um, black dude with a perm all the way to the back. He has... He, he literally has a mean bob on him. I don't know where he's getting that thing cut at, but they working him, you know? And um, But anyway, we were talking about Cat Williams, and we are just talking about how crazy he is. He's super vulgar and crazy, whatever. And, like, I actually posted about him um, maybe about a year and a half ago. I was at this car wash, like, over in the hood. They had the little TV and all that on the crate. And so I was working on my, on my, um, I was working on my um, Bible lesson, my, my sermon or whatever, and he was on the TV. And I had never watched him before. I heard everybody talk about him, but I was like, I'll catch him or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? And uh, I was literally crying, laughing at the car wash. Like, I felt so bad because I was on one of them laughs where I was snorting. You know what I'm saying? And one of those people were next to me. And I don't even snort, but I was like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I couldn't control it. It was so funny. But one of the things about this guy that, that stuck with me about him was his comedy kind of came out of this pain, like this this hurt, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was laughing, and he was playing, and I almost felt like he felt like, yo, this is my way to get money, and y'all are laughing at me. But, like, really inside, I'm grieving over this because he hit so much stuff from a political and social standpoint that was just real, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, when he does his presentations, he's usually high as a kite, but it's almost like he's seeing too much. Like, he's, like, wide awake, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's, like grieving looking at the world and all this other stuff you see happening with him in the news and TV. It's like he's just filling it with drugs or whatever. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of my story. Any of y'all ever been there before? You know what that is or whatever? Like, yo, we're going we gonna, to gonna pour as many drinks on this thing as I can so I don't have to look at it. But the thing is, you're still sober in the fact that you know what it is. Some people walk around like they don't know what time it is. You get where I'm coming from? And so you can't even get a shoulder to lean on when you like, Man, it's ugly. They're like, we don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean it's ugly? Get away from me. (laughs) You get where I'm coming from? But Cat Williams, that's where he always puts me. It always grieves my heart to see him. Let me read this scripture to you real quick. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Hold on. Where's my wife at? Among. 
She, all right, I'm going to get it when I get home. I had to swear. I say among, and she's always like, it's not among. I'm like, all right. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's just one of them things. I'm sorry. All right. You know, anyway. <laughs> for, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved among Am I saying it right? Those, anyway, those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life. What you know is crazy is that when you're reading the scripture right here, it, it's making the point that when the spirit of God is actually illuminating you, you're appealing to the lost and those who are being saved, right? So there's actually this thing, there's this dual thing that happens where you have people who are actually believers, and they're fully aware of the brokenness in the world or whatever. So there's actually, there is a godly way to lament, right? And then you have people who are actually not believers. And we remind them that they're perishing. But they actually are aware. So there is some form of lament, but it's being responded to in an ungodly way, right? So they're like grieving through it. They're grieving because of the brokenness. But perhaps rebellion won't let them come before Christ and say, Lord, I actually need you. Y'all with me? Like, I'll tell you this right here. Before I came to Christ, I was so aware of my situation and my condition. I was aware of it. I literally, I looked forward to getting high every day because it was, it was my conscious tool of not having to look at life. You get where I'm coming from? It wasn't that I just had this little issue. It was that I loved this issue because it made me not have to look at life. I came home from work every day. I'm getting a bottle every single day, and, I, and, 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 I'm, and I'm timing it. I know I have to stay functional, so I'm going to be bent till the morning and leave just enough in the tank to get to work, play it off every day, and act like a zombie a little bit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm half still off a little bit trying to serve people. Like, yeah, we're just here to serve you, you know, but I'm going in the sky somewhere or whatever. But then as soon as I get off of work, I can't even look at life because it was too much to bear. You get where I'm coming from? I was lost in the sauce, but I was lamenting. I was with all my friends, and I knew what we were doing, but I knew we were getting done in. I knew this was going to end with our shame. You get where I'm coming from? To not lament, to not look at the sorrow and the brokenness of this world is rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God for several reasons. Like one of the things, you know, I don't really watch the news. I haven't watched the news in like two years. Sometimes I don't like to say that in front of people because I believe that all intellectuals are like, yeah, you watch the news. You're a pastor. You have to be on top of what's going on. But the fact of the matter is I see so much brokenness, I don't need no more extra brokenness, right? So that's one of the reasons I don't mess with the news. But one of the reasons is this right here, that this is the reason I really don't watch the news. And I'm not telling people to do that. This is just what I do. I can't stand watching news reporters talking about catastrophes and murder and death on the levels they do and then just keep a straight face and keep on moving and grooving. It's weird. It feels like it's doing something grievous and sinful because they're expected, and I know it's the job position, but they're expected to keep on talking and going through the conversation and not lamenting what they're seeing. I remember last year sometime I was watching the news and I saw they had a report where they said that they had busted a uh, sex trafficking operation in the city, and they said, we arrested 200-plus of the top ringleaders in the city. And then they just kept on going, you know? Oh, yeah, it's going to be rain tomorrow, by the way. And I just was sitting there like, 200-plus 
in our city. And there's something wrong and broken with this thing where we're expected to take all of this in and not lament and grieve. It's the waxing of a cold heart. Do you get where I'm coming from? And as believers, we got to protect ourselves from it. So I just tuned my ears out. You know, I was watching, um, I was talking to a friend last week, and they sent me this sermon from this pastor. And they're like, yo, I want you to look at this sermon or whatever and tell me what you think about it. And so I listened to the sermon, and this guy preached this gangster sermon about grace versus works. I mean, it was, I was, when I was listening to it, I was eating off of it, and I was like, this is amazing. I took a couple notes on it. Then I hit my friend back, and they're like, yo, what would you think of the sermon? It's like it was amazing what he preached. I said, but something was weird with it. She's like, what do you mean? I said, I said, he preached the sermon like it was his first time talking about grace. I said, it, 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 and, and I said, but he was like extra charismatic. And so he's like extra charismatic with it. And it was like, man, I got this bomb message to tell you. So it was a truthful message, but it felt like it was like I got a new product to come lay in front of you. You feel me? Because if it's true that we're saved by grace and not by works, and he's preaching that for the first time, what I kept thinking is that there needs to be some welling and gnashing of teeth in the room because it means that the leadership has been preaching a false doctrine. It means that we've actually been thinking we're sharing the good news and we've been sharing very bad news. Do you get where I'm coming from? And so as I, you know, I told I said, it's just weird. It was just weird because there was no lamenting with the delivery of the message. The flip side of this good news is that there's bad news. When we look inside of Acts and the Holy Spirit is moving, you keep, what we keep seeing is this, this um, reoccurring theme where the Spirit of God shows up and moves, and it says that the people are cut to their heart. They're cut to their heart, and Peter and them take that opportunity, and they say they give them the worst news of their life, that you're actually guilty of the death of the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? But he actually came to die for you. You get where I'm coming from? I'm just trying to paint a picture of you for you of this balance of this good news versus this bad news and how it is deception. If we won't lament and stop it, look at what's broken. How can you truly marvel at the work that's been done on the cross, what's been fixed and has been fixed for eternity? Y'all get where I'm coming from? It shows up in evangelism. Because when you go to evangelize and you go to speak to anybody or whatever, the hurdles you got to get past is people opening their eyes and, and, and admitting that they're actually hurting God, right? Or, 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 that or, or that others are being hurt by God or whatever and that the Lord is being blasphemed. People don't grieve over that. But that's what's happening in front of us. You get where I'm coming from? Or, or we're hurting our own neighbors or we're seeing our neighbors hurt. We're not expected to just walk around and see that and witness that and just keep on walking like zombies. That's not the action of a believer. Do you, are y'all with me? All right. Jeremiah witnessed the fall of Jerusalem. He was, he, he was, he was grieved. He looked out and he saw that and he gave us, he, he gave us, he testified of watching the fall of Jerusalem, and we saw him lamenting, like in Lamentations. He's, he's given this thing where he is actually just, his soul is being just grieved at what's going on, right? 
Let me read this to you real quick. This is 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. Tell me if this reminds you of today. Like if this is what feels like is happening around you right now. It says this right here. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Does that sound like a far-off land to you, or does it sound like the land you live in today? Right? Sounds very close to us, like we're dead in the middle of that. He could have wrote that yesterday. Right? We're watching the fall of so many things collapsing around us. And we're moving and we're being, um, our attention is being grabbed by so many things that's meant to numb us that we don't even stop to grieve and lament and hurt over it. Right? God has called us to be in a woke church, right? To be, to be a lot. I can, we got to feel this. If anybody's supposed to look it in the face, the people of God are supposed to look it in the face. Y'all agree with that? I had a conversation with a guy just recently. Um, it's a crazy conversation. I always tell y'all how I meet people, and it's usually some really, really good. I'm like, yeah, I met this guy, and, man, we shared the Lord with him. It was so awesome. I had a conversation a couple weeks ago that turned into a straight yelling match. Out in public, all right? Tell y'all a little bit about it. This wasn't like the time at KFC that I told y'all about that I had to repent about, all right? If y'all remember that, to my shame, all right? But I was out and about, and, and uh, one of my friends was there or whatever, and he introduced me to his other friend. And he's like, yo, what's up, brother? He's like, yeah, good to meet you and everything else. I was like, good to meet you too. We shake hands, sits down, we talk for a minute, we start talking about cameras and making small talk. And then his friend goes, yeah, man, he's a pastor. He's like, oh, for real? Then he goes into the whole, he goes into a whole nother role, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm listening. I'm not really in the most talkative mood, but I'm like, all right, he's a nice guy, whatever. We can, we'll see what's up. We'll just talk. And so this conversation went zero to 100 really quick. And, and I'm just trying to, put, I'm trying to set it up right for you so you could just work with me. He, 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 he started giving me his resume of how good he was once the guy told him yeah, I was a pastor. I ain't asked for it. I said, bro, hey, look, man, it's all good, you know. And I couldn't slow him down. I was like, hey, brother, it's all right, man. You know, like, that's cool, bro. And he's like, he's like, you know, and I believe this right here, man, because, you know, the world, and he gets, he gets on his sermon mode. And I'm just, like, sitting there. I'm like, please, please don't do this. You know what I'm saying? And he's gone. And, you know, and I keep giving him all the passes to slow down. And, but it was like a, in the midst of doing it, it was like he was telling me what was right. And it was like no room, like, this is what it is. You get where I'm coming from? It was kind of this kind of, it was a bit pompous, and he was just leaning in too hard. So at some point, I just said, bro, I actually don't agree with that, you know? And he's like, what? Like, he was so hurt. I said, I actually don't agree with what you're saying. And so then it starts this conversation. Somehow in the conversation, the conversation goes to race. 
And then it just went, it, then, then the volume level went to 100. I wasn't screaming. He was, he, he was the aggressor. I know y'all aren't used to me telling it that way. But he was the aggressor, all right? And so he it goes zero to 100, and he's going in and everything or whatever. And he's, he, he, the word white privilege comes up. I don't throw that word around because I don't think that people ever think in that realm a whole lot. So I don't walk around using it in front of people, all right? Because there's a whole lot to unpack when you're having that conversation. And so, but it comes up. He takes it there, and I'm sitting there. And I said, um, I said, you know, I said, well, you know, I believe it's a real thing, man. He says, he's like, no, what the heck are you talking about, this and that? And he's going through his thing, whatever. I'm sorry, my stories take four hours. I'm going to try to cut it down. And, and uh, anyway, long story short, he's screaming, he's tripping. And then he's like, you know what? I'm done with this conversation. And he jumps up. And I said, all right, man, I go shake his hand. I said, hey, I, you, you know you're exercising some of that privilege right now by walking away. He's like, he's like, what? He's like, yo, what are you talking about? What? He's like, yo, he's like, what? Like he was, he was mad. And I said, uh, and I said, yeah. I said, you know, I said, bro, I love you, man. I'm not mad at you. I said, but the conversation we're having, I live in this world. I can't escape it. I said, but you can. I said, and you make an escape route right now. You won't have a conversation. You're bouncing on it. Now he's back to sit now. Yo, what the heck are you talking about? I said, I said, bro, I'm not mad at you, but I just want to, I want to show you something. I said, since we sat down, you've told me your experience in this country as a white man. I said, I haven't disagreed with it not one time. I go, anytime I say anything to you about being black, you tell me I'm lying. I go, if that's not privilege with a lot of arrogance with it, I go, what is it? I said, I have to wrestle with my privilege. You get what I'm saying? I said, I live in a good, you know, well, not the greatest neighborhood, but I got a nice house or whatever. I said, I deal with kids that are starving all the time. My kids be having a fit because they be like, Dad, my pet, my iPad needs some juice. And the plug breaker is acting funny. I'm like, oh, my God. We're privileged. I have to wrestle with that. You get where I'm coming from? So I can lead accordingly. But anyway, I tell, so I tell my friend, I said, bro, I said, I don't even know you. I haven't been in your life. I don't know what your life is like. You're telling me about it. I'm saying, yeah, I respect that. That's, that's your story. I said, but why do you keep telling me I'm a liar? I said, I don't even know. You haven't let me. And he was like, but this is what I'm trying to get to. He said, bro, man, I deal with a st- statistics and the truth. I was like, you haven't quoted not one statistic since we're talking, but let me quote you some. And I started running some, some, some statistics down on him, right? And then he ends it with this right here. He says, bro, I'm about peace, love, and I reject everything else. <laughs> and that's how, how, he, how he shut it down. And, like, I know it's funny, but, like, I, serious left, I seriously left grieved. Like, it's been on my, con- on my mind for the past couple weeks because one of the things he did was he pulled out his cross tattoo, you know, to let me know what was up. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know what it is. When you're a pastor, bro, people be doing all type of stuff. It was crazy, whatever. They just start doing stuff, whatever. But anyway, he pulls out a cross tattoo or whatever, and, and it just kind of grieved me because on my heart I was just thinking through it. I'm like, man, you've carved this safe place that is really extremely selfish so you don't have to look at anything else that's broken. And then you wear this title and this idea of being peaceful about love, and that's your vibe. You've pretty much hijacked these virtues from God 
and you're now trying to wear them. But he doesn't know that these are actually war cries. If you wear any of these, you have to step into the ugly picture. Or there ain't really nothing. They're just fake. You get what I'm saying? I know the conversation's about a racial nature, but what I'm talking about is not racial. We do this on, on, it doesn't matter if you're human, you do this. You get where I'm coming from? You have to engage. You have to engage. Nehemiah looked at the city broken down and all the walls torn down. He went before the Lord because he was grieved. He was lamenting over what had happened. You get where I'm coming from? To his people. So he went to God in prayer with a petition. And then he went to work and rebuilt the wall in 52 days. You get where I'm coming from? Lamenting. Godly lamenting looks like, Lord, I see this. I see that it's broken. I see that things are broken. I see that I'm broken. But you declare the good news of God over it. And then you say, God, how do we jump inside of this fight? How do we rebuild the wall? The Bible calls us repairers of the breach, right? So in our community, when the breach is broken and we have fatherless homes and we have young boys and girls being molested or sexualized at such an early age, it should hurt. And the proper response is we pray and we go, God, how do we do something about it? Y'all with me? So our God-given position as believers in the midst of grieving and mourning. I just want to read this to you, 2 Corinthians 6, 3. 6, and I'm going to start with 3. It says, we put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now listen to this two-step they got going on, right? By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech. These are their weapons they use in the midst of this hard reality, right? And the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, uh, dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as, di- as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We as believers are called to this, this simultaneous, this two-step where we're in this world of where, where everybody's walking around blind, but we are so sober about what it is. But in the midst of our hardship and our suffering, we are seeing God in such a way, right, that we are able to even joy in it. We're able to look ahead, look ahead to the eternal promise and know that everything is going to be all good. We're able to face tomorrow and know that God is actually going to walk through it with us. And that became a very real part of my life when I started to put the bottle down and started turning my back on being an utter drunkard. I had to hold on to the power of God to make it through the day. Because like that young man I told you, I had this safe place. I went and hid from reality. And I had to realize this isn't about the fact that I'm weak. I am weak. But I'm turning my back on the power of God who is present and ready to walk with us every single day. You get where I'm coming from? We are mourning, yet we're overcoming. Right? Right? We're mourning yet overcoming. 
I want to read this to you. This is Psalms 142. This is David. David is actually writing this from, um, from the cave when he was on the run from the king. It says this right here. I want you to hear how he deals with a grievous heart, right? He's been told he's going to be king of the land, but he's out in a cave on the run from the king, right? It's a little bit confusing, all right? It says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. It's so, that, that verse 3 is so important. My, I want you to hear this really closely. My spirit faints often, often. Just from being, from whatever it is, being a pastor, having eight kids, and I'm not trying to preach about me, I just want to give you an example. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I get surgeries on my back every couple of months. Like, I hurt. I live in pain. I don't want to be inside of a church context and family where I feel like I'm fainting, but our context and our, our culture is that we walk around with the happy fake face on. I need to be able to say, I can barely walk today. Brothers, I need you to hold me up, right? Our mothers in this church, they need to be able to say, this baby is driving me crazy. I don't know what I'm doing. And girlfriend, I need you to come over and help. Or I need you to come get the baby right now. Like, like I, not even, I need, I have an emergency on my hands. It may seem silly to you because it may be easy for you. But it's not easy for me. So I need you to show up and come hold my baby so I can just get a nap for two hours. Our culture of our church needs to be able to do that. Right? Men need to be able to come over and say, hey, bro, I'm struggling with some ugly stuff. And I'm ashamed to admit it in front of anybody. But they should never be ashamed amongst their brothers up in here. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's what the church is for. We give glory to God by the way that we actually love each other. But that's not this fake thing. We throw lipstick on a pig and act like it's all good. It's not all good. It's all good in him. But it's a lie. It's a lie. You get where I'm coming from? I didn't had to. I didn't had to. Stop bringing some of my homies to church, to, to, to other churches I've been a part of, because they couldn't even walk inside of the church with the reality they were facing. Because they, there was no room for them to be a part of it. Because it's like, we have no lights. And yeah, and we function like that. That's quite often, right? That's my friend's issue. But everybody in the room is too lofty to deal with such a thing, Right? And it's not, here's the thing, nobody needs to feel guilty about their privilege at all, but we do need to ask God, how do we actually leverage our privilege? How do we walk in a place of humility where you can go sit with the president or you can go sit with the, somebody who sleeps outside of your house on the ground? How can both, how can we live in a place that both of those people are welcome at your dinner table? You get where I'm coming from? If you see in the cross, it's not a hard thing to do. We'll get to that, though. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a, they have hidden a trap for me. 
Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Let me read that to you again. There is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Does anybody ever feel like that? Do you ever you say something? Throw your hands in there. Do you ever feel like there is nobody to call? Do you ever feel like there's nobody who will understand this grievous place you are actually in? I was talking to my cousin's widow this week, and um, I was parked outside of the courthouse, and, and, uh, and she was talking to me. It's been two years, and she was saying, she's on the phone, and she was just crying. And she said, Jay, when he died, everybody died. People who are at our house every week haven't been in my house since he left. Family members that said they would help carry the burden are gone. I don't know how to make decisions because I always said, babe, what do we do? And he said, I'm going to pray to him and I'll tell you tomorrow. I haven't known how to, I haven't had to say yes or no for 20 years. What do I do now? And it's been two years and every time I go to somebody with my pain, I feel like they want to shut me down because it feels like, they make me feel like I'm silly for hurting for this long. She's grieving. She's mourning. God wants us to be a church where people can actually, where we got an open door policy where people can come say what it is. You get where I'm coming from? Where we can lift each other up, where we can point each other to the cross, where we can point to the fact that God is faithful despite what it looks like, despite the fact that the storm is uh, raging. Five, he says this, right? He says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. This is why this statement is so important. Because as much as we want to be super Christians up in here or whatever, all of us, because of this flesh that's on us and our sin nature, there's going to get to a point where we get tired of carrying our brother. It's an ugly truth. It's going to disappoint you. Sometimes I get phone calls from people and I know that they need me and I can't even hold my own self up. And I'm not getting a phone that day. Not because I don't love you, but I just don't got it in me. That's why it's important that our number one source is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because we are human. We are going to fall short. We are going to disappoint each other. And we need to be aware of that. But God is actually our refuge, right? He calls us as a community to love each other and hold each other up. But if we just so happen to trip, which we most definitely will, God is never, ever too busy. You get what I'm saying? And the cross is always sufficient for every subject, every type of pain, every fastball that the devil can throw. You get where I'm coming from? Blood is no joke. Verse 6, he says, attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Look at him. There's no refuge, nowhere to go, and he's talking to the Lord. Father, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. There's a mission. I don't have it in me. I don't, I, I, the muscles aren't big enough to fight this battle. 7, he says, bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, but you will deal bountifully with me. 
David's confidence is fully in God in the darkest moment while he's in a cave hiding. This is our position. Christ is the fulfillment of our lamenting. You understand? Where we see this ugly thing and we are grieving, he is the answer to all that, to our woes and our griefs and our sorrows. In John 16, he says this right here. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see the soberness in that? There's a soberness in how powerful our father is, that he's got everything under wraps. But then there's a soberness in the brokenness also. He's not leaning in his flesh to find this middle spot that he can just make it through with, right? Because that's not overcoming. That's being deceived. You know, in the Bible, when you read in Genesis and you read about Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, God comes looking for them and they're in the garden hiding, right? And they hid, and the Bible tells us that they went and they put on fig leaves. Now, there's no doubt they were lamenting because they had never been in that place before. There was definitely grief, and it was definitely a form of sorrow. The response may not have been godly, but they were in this place of sorrow because they knew when they sinned, when they sinned, that they, were, they knew something was broken and broken in a huge way, right? But then God, when he shows up, he deals with their sin. He deals with their sin, right? But he goes and he kills an animal, and he makes an outfit for them to wear. So they're wearing leaves to cover up their sin, right, to cover their shame. They're doing what we always do. When we know that something's broken, we know it's wrong, we, we have all these different vices that we go cover up with, all these different processes that we put in place to deal with that brokenness. But God, even in, is straight off the bat, even in the book of Genesis, in the beginning of this earth, he is already pointing to the Lamb of God to come. There's already blood involved in the process. You get where I'm coming from? He's already foreshadowing to the fact that Jesus Christ would come and die on the cross for our sins. He's already saving us from the beginning. From the beginning. The Lamb of God is being pointed to. So he says, yo, take them leaves off because it's not going to do nothing for you. You don't understand. There is blood that has to be shed for things to be fixed here. To cover your nakedness. There's nothing you can come up with. There's nothing that can cover what you've actually done. This is, a, this, this is a way bigger thing than you understand. You get where I'm coming from? And so in that statement right there, what I want you to understand is that we're called to be sober and understand that this is a way bigger thing. This is not the news where we just look at everybody just dropping like flies. And we just keep on going through like it's nothing. I always tell you all. If you want to know what's going on, people sometimes they're like, hey, I want to get involved and I want to do something or I just feel like there's not enough ministry opportunities here at the church. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and see what's going on. Ask them what's really, really going on in their life. There are people in here that don't have food to eat. There are marriages hanging in the balance. Ask the questions and you will find out a lot is broken. But even in the midst of this brokenness, we have Jesus Christ. We have the Lamb of God slain for our sins to cover our iniquities. That is good news. 
It's good news, and it gets sweeter when you're sober about what's going on in the world. Amen?